Welcome to Lose Yourself with Dr. Mike Cunningham, Bible teacher in Vineyard, Utah. When we lose ourselves in worldly distractions, we lose our value, our purpose, and our passion in exchange for temporal experiences. But Jesus says that whoever would lose their life for his sake will find it. Let's learn what it means to lose yourself with Dr. Mike. Welcome to Lose Yourself. I'm Dr. Mike Cunningham, and I'm so glad you could join me for today's episode. I am preempting my typical series on discipleship today because we've had a bit of a life event in the life of the greater church this week. We had the passing of Timothy Keller, who's an influential author, pastor, and co-founder of the Gospel Coalition, who's had a profound impact on countless pastors, including myself. I don't normally take a moment to do this kind of thing because I always want to specifically hone in on just Bible teaching and discipleship. There's times in life, kind of like with Billy Graham, with Tim Keller, with other people as they pass on, it's appropriate sometimes to pause and consider their legacy and their contribution because with Lose Yourself being a discipleship program, reproducing yourself and influence on others is a major part of what I'm asking people to do. I'm asking people to open up their Bible. I'm asking them to practice their spiritual disciplines. I'm asking them to grow in their faith, but not just for your own betterment and your own fulfillment, but also in the hopes that a disciple makes a disciple, makes a disciple, makes a disciple. While the primary thrust of this program is rallying people in the pews that are stagnant, who are chasing the wrong metrics in their life, there's also appropriate times that there are going to be people who are called to ministry vocationally, pastors, missionaries, other forms of leadership. What Timothy Keller represented was someone who probably influenced the lives of other pastors as much as he influenced the life of his congregation and his city. In 1989, Keller packed up his family and moved to New York City. It was now and continues to be a very daunting missionary field. And against all odds, he managed to build a thriving Presbyterian church in the heart of New York City. He used presuppositional apologetics in his sermons that was accessible and was able to make sense to New Yorkers and allow them to come into faith. And in so doing, he kind of became a person that people were sinking out to figure out how to do something similar because probably one of the most interesting aspects of Keller was in an age where people typically dressed a certain way, they would try to stay up with culture, haircuts, jeans, outfits, high production values. It got people's attention that in the late 20th, early 21st century, that he was able to have ministry success basically looking like a middle to older aged professor that was very central to gospel proclamation and exegetical preaching. And I think that that is commendable when so much of our efforts in these last decades, much of our emphasis has been on stylistic, generational, marketing, communications, and to have someone who could just very clearly communicate gospel truths in reproducible ways that helped other people learn to do the same. Because I've talked about attractional church, and he had a large church, so you could call that attractional if you want to, but it was not your conventional attractional church. It was simply one that was trying to answer culture's questions and remain faithful to the Bible. 
And as we go out to disciple others, as we go out to engage with our local communities uh, with gospel truth, it's important to know that we can be prepared and peaceful, kind. You rarely saw him exchange nastiness with other people, whether it be the present culture or fellow pastors. You saw him try to communicate as clearly as he could and as kindly as he could. There are those who don't agree with that. They're entitled to that opinion. I'm just going to take a few quotes from him today and break it apart because what he really had a gift for was communicating truths that were accessible but accurate. His ministry did not make me feel closer to him. His ministry made me feel closer to God and helped me in my communication and uncluttering my language and making it easy for people to understand. You'll notice that this program has a conversational tone. Sometimes he had a conversational tone, even in the pulpit, placing the gospel and scripture in people's hearts in such a way that that transforms the person as opposed to his delivery or stylistic methods. But one of my favorites is the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. He preached grace. He preached that we are sinful and separated from God, that we need him and we cannot save ourselves. That we should come to Christ and come to church for the right reasons and not for self-serving reasons. Only God can save us and we are dependent upon Christ. Uh, he also poked holes in the idea that we should have ulterior motives when we come to church. He said, Jesus did not suffer so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you'll become more like him. The gospel does not promise you a better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. Meaning, as we state on this program, those who are trying to join the church to get favor for earthly rewards are going to be sorely disappointed. But those who seek after Christ in their, with their life find purpose and meaning even in difficult circumstances. When we're doing well, when we're doing poorly. I've known miserable rich people. I've known happy poor people. I've known miserable people at the height of their game and the height of their career and the height of their influence. And I've known happy people that are going through some of life's most trying moments. And I dare say this, that even as he passed away, Keller modeled dignity and hope. And he just said, I want to see Jesus and I'm ready to go. That is not a life that is pointing towards himself. That is a life that is pointing towards Christ. And as we grow in our faith and as we grow in our leadership, we should remember that when we make the gospel the main thing, it'll give purpose to the mundane. It will give purpose to trials. It will give purpose to when things don't go well. And even then, when things do go well, it gives greater purpose to that and greater opportunity because it's not about our own fascination. It's about how we could leverage those for eternal purposes. On that note, he says, religion says, earn your life. Secular society says, create your life. Jesus says, my life for your life. That is about the substitutional justification that happens by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. Once we are growing in that and we're growing in our faith, then we become able to grow in our maturity. He says, if God is not the center of your life, something else is. And as we begin in our discipleship journey, that's part of what it is. It's about keeping the gospel central in our life. 
that's our non-negotiable. Events will change, circumstances will change, relationships will change, but the gospel never fails. It never changes. That's a good reminder. He encouraged us to stay humble, to live godliness, and to model that and to share our faith. And I think that that is an essence of what we're talking about. There are so many Tim Keller quotes out there. I could fill several hours with them. But I can honestly say that Center Church really informed a generation of pastors on how they could not be intimidated by culture, but to go ahead and faithfully plant new works and engage communities with the gospel, not for its moral high ground, but because he really taught that the power of the gospel is restorative and necessary. We need not fear taking it to people who need it. Further, his apologetic works, The Reason for God, were New York Times bestsellers when New Atheism was also selling great. So you literally had Tim Keller standing up against Oxford-trained intellectual giants who were slandering faith and slandering God. And Keller was able to winsomely and effectively offer an alternative view and made a strong case for faith. His effectiveness as an apologist caused the New York Times to call him the next C.S. Lewis, which I don't think there is higher praise. And many people are walking with Christ today because of him. Today, I didn't want to spend the whole time on that. I just felt it was worth mentioning that what are our legacies going to be? What are we going to be known for? Are we going to be known for our tax bracket? Are we going to be known for our following? Are we going to be known for what we project every single day? Is that our legacy? For Tim Keller, his legacy is many, many pastors serving churches, many, many people who've come to faith, many people who felt violated by attacks on their faith, feeling defended and feeling emboldened to continue in their discipleship journey. Realistically speaking, I will never leave a legacy that large. I can take cues from his example, and I can do my best to live my life in such a way that I can leave a legacy that will embolden those who are listening to this program to open up their Bible, to become a disciple when you're ready and approved, to make a disciple, and to make a difference. I don't know the name of the person who led Billy Graham to Christ. I don't know the name of the person who led Timothy Keller to Christ, but I sure am glad they did. And maybe that's going to be our legacy. And I never know who's listening. Maybe yours will be like his. But I think it's worth pausing and noting that we have to be open to be used by God. My hope is that, like Matthew 25, 23, Tim Keller is hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that that is what we all hear when our time is done. We can't help but think about the future when these events happen, but I want to do so with a sense of hope and a sense of optimism because that is why he lived. That was one of his key central moments was it's not about him and it's not about us. It's about Christ and how can we make him the center and make him known. And I think that that's a life that is worth living. That is the legacy that I hope to have. I hope that's a legacy that you aspire to. We don't know who Christ is going to put in your path today. I pray that you will be equipped and ready and excited to share and possibly disciple that person. I hope that 
if you're on a ministry path, that you are ready to take that progression and continue on in that path so that you can not only grow, but grow those around you. And also, just a word to the younger generations is we have a cohort of pastors of note that are going to be leaving us probably in the next five to 10 years. And it's okay. They have run the race. They have made their contribution. We cannot sit on our laurels and coast on the efforts of those who've gone before us. We must take that baton and take the message where it needs to go, which is in our spheres of influence and in our own lives. So as I bid farewell to Tim Keller's earthly ministry, I'll just finish with this quote. It is in death that God says, if I'm not your security, then you've got no security because I'm the only thing that can't be taken away from you. I will hold you in my everlasting arms. Every other set of arms will fail you, but I will never fail you. Smelling salts are very disagreeable, but they're also very effective. But as you're waking from your illusions, be at peace, because here's what Jesus Christ offers to us if by faith we have him as our Savior. Smelling salts indeed. I hope that we will all wake from our illusions and keep our eyes on the Christ. Next week, we will pick up on the three-part arc that I had been on before where we're going to do a second half of the Who, Me? A Disciple Maker on our series. And then after that, we're going to talk about how do we find people to disciple. I thank you for giving me this opportunity to make this acknowledgement because I feel like there are some aspects to his life and legacy that are appropriate for a show like this. Again, the gospel is central and we worship Christ and not men. But I hope that when we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, it's because our lives are about bringing attention and glory to Christ and not ourselves. I thank you for joining me today, and I'll see you in our next episode of Lose Yourself. This has been Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself is a teaching ministry of Bible teacher, Dr. Mike Cunningham. For more information about Mike and his ministry, check out his blog at loseyourself.life. Until next time, make it your ambition to lose yourself to Christ. Lose Yourself is a production of Key Radio.